Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. So I want to continue this message. I began last week, Receive the Power. We've been studying in the book of Acts how God empowered the church to enable them to complete their assignment. After his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, there were 40 days he appeared on earth before he ascended back to heaven. And during that time, he told the disciples, you're going to go to the whole world and you're going to preach the gospel to everyone. He said, but before you do that, you need to be empowered. You need the power of the Holy Spirit if you're really going to be my witness. Now, there are a lot of things that we can do in our ability, but there are some things only God can do. And to be a witness of Jesus is not just a human effort. It's not a collective ability of an organization or a church. To really witness, to, to, to represent Jesus requires the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not just in miracles and preaching, although that's part of it. It's in living this Christian life. How many are with me right now? The ability to live like Jesus lived. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, think about his life. Uh, how he forgave the people that were unkind to him. How he rose above factions and arguments. He never was he would never be drug into, you know, political things and religious things. You know, Jesus was uh, you know, that one time said the religious leaders tried to catch him. And so, you know, the Jews in Israel were under the the they were had been conquered under the dominion of the Roman Empire. And so they hated the Romans, and the Romans were lording it over the Jews. And so there was political turmoil. There was religious turmoil. And they came to Jesus one time, and they said, we're going to catch him now. We're going to get him to say something against Caesar, and, and uh, then he's going to be called a rebel. Or we're going to get him to deny his, his Jewish heritage. So they said, okay, Jesus, what do you say? Are we supposed to pay taxes to the Roman government? He said, bring me a coin. And they bring him a coin, a denarius. And they say, who's, he said, whose picture's on this? They said, well, Caesar. He said, okay, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God. And it said they just walked off and said, all right, let's leave him alone. See, he, would, he refused to be wrapped up in the things we let wrap us up today. The church, listen to me, guys, cannot afford to be the property or the front for any political or religious or cultural organization. We are above that. How many hear what I'm saying today? We are above that. We're not going to stand for an earthly kingdom. We preach the kingdom of God. We refuse to live lower than who God created us to be. Everybody with me right now? We're affected by politics. We're affected by culture. We're affected by religion. But we live above that thing. So we have a gift. I want you to get this. We have a gift. We have a gift that's available to every born-again Christian called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What I want to pick up today, I want to show you the sequence of events. We've been preaching about this and looking at this. I want to keep taking you through this until it's so clear and your faith is so strong and your hunger begins to be there. You know what I believe? I believe if you hear God's Word, then you're going to have faith for what the Word says. If you don't know what the Bible says, there's no faith. Faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing what? The Word of God. Here's what I found out. If I get enough of God's Word on something, I begin to believe that. And when I begin to believe something, then I want to see it, right? So the Word creates faith, and faith creates hunger, and that gets us where we need to be. 
So that's what we're doing here. So I want to look at, at, at Matthew chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read a, a kind of a lengthy passage. In fact, the whole chapter, which is rare on, on a Sunday to read a whole chapter. But here's why. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. The prophets had said that one will come before the Christ, the Messiah. So John had been prophesied. This was something God said he would do. But the time for the coming of Christ, the time for John the Baptist to begin to say, get ready, here he comes, was so similar to where we are today. We can't miss this. At that point in time, religion was failing them. Government was without answers. Culture was without hope. This, the things, the human institutions of government, culture, and religion were drying up. People were losing hope. They're, they're, they, they were struggling to find answers. What you need to understand is that when John the Baptist began to preach in the wilderness, there had not been a prophet in Israel for 400 years. Four centuries they had gone without a fresh word from God. Four centuries, God's people were in a void, and it grew darker and darker. Do you know what happens when the church fails to be the church? When the gospel fails to be preached? When the light fails to shine? When we create a void, then everything fills that void. And Christ is pushed to the rear. Our culture is in a place of struggle, and we must understand this. So I want you to follow along with me because this is critical. You see John the Baptist role. You see what he said Jesus would do. We see what Jesus began to do. I want you to see this is right on the mark for where we are today. So let's watch this. Read, read along with me uh, in Matthew 3 verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, look at his message. What did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. One translation says, prepare. For the coming of the Lord. Folks, do you know what repent means, guys? You know what repent means? It means to admit I'm going in the wrong direction. Repent means it's, it's, it's not just, okay, I'm wrong. Repent is not, okay, I'm sorry. Don't let me bear the consequence of what I've done. Look at me. Repentance is a reversal in how you think and how you act. To repent means this. I was going in this direction. I was confronted with Jesus, the truth, the love, the mercy of God. And I said, God, I repent. I didn't keep going in that same direction, doing the same thing. I repented. I did this. God, I am changing where I'm going, what I'm doing, how I'm living. I repent. John, watch this. This is what God's saying to us today. The message is this. If we want Jesus to come to this nation and heal our wounds and restore our hopes and dreams and lives. It begins with you and I repenting, God, I'm sorry that I've been living going in the wrong direction. Can I tell you something? God's not mad at people going in the wrong direction. God loves people going in the wrong direction. Did you know that? Do you know God loves a guy this morning? I, I want to help you with this. You know the people that are laying in bed, hungover, drunk from last night. Do you know Jesus loves them as much this morning as he does any one of us sitting in this room? Do you know that? So, whoa, whoa, whoa that makes me nervous. Why does it make us nervous? Because we think we earned this. And Jesus paid for it on the cross. Now watch this. I said he loves us the same. 
But he can't do what he wants to do for that person walking away from him. He can't affirm them. He can't be codependent with their rebellion. So all the things he wants to do because he loves us, while we're walking away from him, he has to hold on to. But the moment we turn and begin to walk back to him, come on, he gets to show us, shower us, bless us with everything he wants to do. So John said, Jesus, listen, I believe God wants to send revival to America. I believe God wants to turn this thing around for us. But it begins with you and I saying, God, I repent. God, and, and, and I prepare. I want God to do everything he wants. Anybody on board with me in this? Okay, I've got to hurry. So watch this. He says, repent, the kingdom is near. This is he who was spoken of through Isaiah. God, Isaiah prophesied. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now look at John, verse 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. And he had a leather belt around his waist. Look at this. His food was locusts and wild honey. This guy was different. <laughs> I mean, he, he wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked today in church. They wouldn't have had John preach. He didn't look like you're supposed to look. You understand what I'm saying? He, he, he just didn't look right. And then he ate weird food. And he was kind of loud and yelled, repent at people. You know, I think we may have developed such a little, help me, Lord. We need no backbone church in America today that if a John the Baptist walked in, we might throw him out. Anybody still with me now? You know, I don't think we need any more little mamby-pamby. We need some John the Baptist in America today. We say we want revival, but do we want a prophet in our face? We say we want a Holy Spirit to be outpoured, but do we want a prophet in our face? We say we want God to change America, but do we want God to change us? We say we're willing to go to jail for the gospel, but are we willing to live for the gospel? You know, I'm not worried he'll go to jail. I want somebody to go to work for the gospel. I want somebody to go to school for the gospel. I want somebody to go home for the gospel. Okay, I'm sorry, but John the Baptist is on me today. So, so, so look at him. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Look at this. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by John in the Jordan River. So look, uh, this guy, it's, it's going good. He's a little weird. He doesn't look right. He eats crazy food, but, and he's telling everybody to repent. But look, they're coming out to him. He's baptizing people. He's preaching to crowds. It's going great. You know what his advisors and handlers would tell him today? John, you got it going, buddy. Be careful now. Don't offend anybody. Don't step on any toes. you got to be careful. If people are going to go to church nowadays, they got to be happy and sappy. They come on. You, you, come on. If we're going to go to church, we got to pat everybody on the back. we got to, when they walk in the front door, we're glad you're here today. If, they, if it was southern Israel, we'd say, bless your heart. Tell mama and them hello for us. And, hey, here's a cup of Starbucks, and we got a padded pew for you. Is the air conditioning all right? What about the vibe? Would you like some earplugs? Is it too loud? I'm sorry. What can we do? What, what, what can we do, baby sugar doll, sweetie pie? We, we cook, cook, can we help? Would you like me to feed you the bottle today? What, 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 what can I do? Because you got to come back because that's all we're here. I know I'm preaching to the wrong. So, so, so he's got it going. He, he, it's going great. And look, he can't help himself, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, these are the religious leaders of the day. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. John, stop. 
You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And he won't stop. And, and, and do not think that you can say for yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He goes on. I mean, he's just rolling. Go to verse 11. I baptize you with water. Okay, watch this. What did John do? How did he baptize? He was baptizing people where? In water. For what? What does it say? They were repenting of their sins. They were, because they had repented of their sins, they're being baptized. Water baptism is a public confession of your faith. That's not how you get saved. You know what happens to a sinner that gets baptized? They get wet. That's it. Water doesn't wash away sins. The blood of Jesus does. You know, until you ask Jesus to be your Savior, you can get baptized 48 times and nothing changed. You might be a little cleaner, but you're still not going to heaven. Everybody with me? Okay, this is, not, this is big folks' church today. Everybody with me? Don't turn that off at home. Stay with me. Come on, you need this. You good? Okay. So John baptized in water. But watch this. He says he was the forerunner. So I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Remember John said about Jesus? He said, I must decrease so he can increase. He said, I'm going away. He's staying. I'm just the forerunner. I'm just setting this up. I'm just getting you prepared so that Jesus, the Savior and the baptizer and the Holy Spirit can come. So look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? Do you understand what was happening? John knew who Jesus was. He knew he was the son of God. He said, he's greater than me. He's going to baptize with fire. And John said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Come on, Jesus. No, no. Jesus said, notice what Jesus said. Look at this. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, he said, John, I'm going to obey the word of God. I'm the son of God, but I'm going to submit to the word and the laws of God. Baptize me in water. So he was. Now watch this. I would think if Jesus was baptized, we ought to be. Thank you for three amens, two holy grunts, and a nod. If Jesus is baptized in water, we should be baptized in water. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, where? In water, right? By John. When he came up out of the water, at that moment, what happened? Heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. So now, after he was baptized in water... He's empowered with the Holy Spirit. And verse 17, a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. So what happens here? Jesus is confirmed by heaven. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. The power of God comes upon his life. Why? Now he begins his public ministry. He had been on this earth wrapped in our flesh for 30 years, but we don't hear of him. But when it's time to begin his ministry, just like he told the disciples, you're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but don't begin until you're empowered of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus do? He was on this earth 30 years, but we don't hear of him waiting for his time. But when the time was right to begin his ministry, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit and began to do what he did. It radically changed everything. The humanity of Jesus had to be anointed with the Holy Spirit to do what the Father had called him to do. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. I want you to read it with me again. So now 
He's, he, he completes his ministry. He goes to the cross, Acts 2, please, and verse 1. He dies, pays a price for our sins. He becomes the Savior of the world. He's raised from the dead. He ascends back to heaven. And he told the disciples what? He said, you wait until the power of God comes on your life. There's a gift that God will give you. We're talking today, how do I receive that? How do I receive this power from God? Folks, listen to me. This is not just to be an apostle. Are you hearing me? This gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for the apostles and the prophets. The evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. It's not just for the people living 2,000 years ago. This is to enable you and I to live like Jesus. We are saved when we put our faith in Christ that died on the cross for us. And the Bible uses the term born again. When you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. You're born again. You get a new life. From the inside out, you're new. So the Jesus that's our Savior is also the Jesus who is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And so that's the gift we're looking at. That's what begins to happen. What did it look like when it came to the church? Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So, so what, are we, what are we seeing? What happened? This, this day... I've been teaching this again and again. I want you to see it. None of this was random. None of this was coincident. This was the plan of God from the beginning for his church. Everybody with me? This was God's plan. On the very day that the Holy Spirit was outpoured that we just read in Acts 2, it was during a Jewish feast called the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost Feast. Now, you go all the way back in the Old Testament where God initiated these feasts. And gave this to Moses. All of this was a plan of God. Do you understand that when God gave the Jewish feast, it was not just so they could get together and eat. They were prophetic. They were teaching them, someday Christ, the Messiah, will come. And as they observed the law and the feast, it was pointing them to Christ. So God said, we're going to have a feast of weeks. God said, I want you to observe this feast, this Pentecost. Watch this. On Sunday, the day of Pentecost, on Sunday, at exactly 9 o'clock in the morning, I want you to get this, when the Holy Spirit was outpoured, in the temple, the priest, in the Feast of Weeks, picked up a loaf of bread, representing the first fruits, and held it up to wave it before God as an offering, celebrating the Feast of Weeks, the first fruits. As he picked that loaf up in the temple, for centuries, the symbols of what would be real. And he waves that bread. At that moment, the wind of the Holy Spirit crashes into that room where those disciples are praying. It wasn't random. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't planned 10 days before. It was planned hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that God would fill his church with the Holy Spirit. That's the plan of God. It wasn't an add-on, an upgrade. It was the, it was the, 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 the normalcy of the New Testament church, the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think of that. At that moment, heaven was ripped open the heavens 
the Holy Spirit was outpoured. These disciples, think of this, think of this. The wind of the Spirit came rushing into that room and filled the hearts of those men and women. The Bible says, you just read, there were tongues of fire that came to rest on them. Throughout the Bible, fire has always represented the presence of God. Remember the burning bush and Moses? Where he's on the backside of the desert and there's a bush burning, but it's not burning up. There's fire. And Moses is called back into his ministry and sent back to serve God. That fire. Remember if we fast forward when Solomon built the temple and offered it to God and the fire from heaven came down and burned the sacrifice? That's the Holy Spirit. In the Holy of Holies where the glowing presence of God dwelt in the Old Covenant, that's fire. Do you understand? Listen to this. The same fire in the burning bush. The same fire in the Holy of Holies. The same fire came on the heads of those men and women signifying that the Holy Spirit had come into their lives. Think of this. The fire of heaven, the glory of heaven, the kingdom of God somehow, pardon my language, got crammed into the chest of 120 believers. Do you understand that heaven downloaded into the spirit of a human being? It had never happened before. No one had ever been filled and indwelt with the Spirit. The Spirit had come on this one and come on that one, but now they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the first experience mankind had ever had, and that's how the church began. Now, let me show you a verse that should rock our attention. Go to Matthew eleven eleven. I want you to see this. Matthew eleven eleven. Now, we've been reading about John the Baptist. Now, I'm going to tell you something. John the Baptist was a boss. Tell the truth, wasn't he? He was a boss. Or I'll say it another word. Whatever you want to say. He was a boss. He was a dude. He was the man. I mean, he's standing out there preaching in his camel skin. Come on. He didn't even have a tailor. Had a belt around his waist. Uh, you know, a locust hanging out of his mouth from breakfast. And he's preaching and just, just giving the gospel, telling people to repent. Biggest leaders in the nation there, calling them vipers. He was a man. He was the one chosen to prepare the way for Jesus, all right? Now, look what the Bible says about him. This is stunning. Don't gloss over this. Come on. We need to be confronted with these kind of verses. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said that. Can you get that for a minute? Come on. Abraham? Moses, Elijah, Elisha, David the giant killer, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Zechariah, Solomon, Samson. Well, come on. Out of every human being who had ever been born on this planet, from Adam to John the Baptist, Jesus said, He's the greatest. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? He's the greatest. But then the next statement is far, pardon my language, crazier than that. Because then he said, whoever's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Do you know who the kingdom of heaven is? Every born-again Christian. Every born-again Christian. Come on. You know what Jesus said about you? You're greater than the greatest man who's ever born until that time. 
what in the world? What in the world? Come on, guys. We have to deal with that. I want you to, like they say in Psalms, over in the, in the margin, it says Selah. That means pause and meditate. Do a little Selah here. What does that mean? How does that work? We know who we are. We know our frailties. We know our, our gaps, our weaknesses, these, these missing places. And yet Jesus said the least of us who've accepted Christ as our Savior and come in his kingdom are greater than the greatest one who ever lived until that time? Why is that? Listen to me. Not because our, our DNA. It's not because of our education. It's not because of where we live or who we are or the color of our skin or the address of our home or the amount of our bank or how many degrees we have or don't have. You know what it is? It's, it's, it's one thing that makes it happen. The Holy Spirit lives in us and never lived in anyone before this time. He would come upon those great prophets and live. He would come upon those great men and women of God. But because the Holy Spirit dwells in you today, as a born-again Christian, Jesus said, the least of us are greater than the greatest one that ever lived before this time. Now, I want to tell you something. That's, that's humbling to me. That doesn't make me feel arrogant. It's humbling to me, but it's encouraging to me. It lets me know, listen to me, all the lies of the devil, I want you to hear this, that he's tried to perpetrate upon you and your family where he said, you're never going to make it. You don't have what it takes. You didn't have enough upbringing. You didn't have this and you didn't have that. And this person hurt you and that person left you and this person lied to you and you didn't have what it takes. I'm here to tell you, Jesus said, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you've been, and no matter who overlooked you, no matter who hurt you, according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is so powerful that it positions you in a greater position before God than the greatest prophets that have ever lived on this earth. And I'm going to tell you, you're valuable to God today. There is a gift in you placed there by God that has no limitations on it. It's absolutely amazing. There is no limit. When, what, so, so what happens? So, see, these disciples, they were grappling with this. They had walked with him for three and a half years. And now he's telling them, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm going back to heaven. And they're saying, wait a minute. You were the one. We not only saw you cast out demons. We not only saw you heal the sick and, and do miracles, but you sent us out and authorized us. And we did the same things. What are we going to do now, Jesus? What, what, what's going to happen? You leave. You go. We're just back to the same old guys. We're just a bunch of fishermen that you walk by one day and call. What are we going to do? This is what he told them, John 14, 16. Look at this verse. He said to them, I'm not going to leave you alone. The previous verse says, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. He says, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another. This verbiage here, another, means one just like me. Not a different kind, but another one of the same. You hear it? That's powerful. I'm going to give you another advocate, counselor, comforter to help you and be with you forever. Do you get that? He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, it'll be just like me walking with you. When the Holy Spirit comes, everything you saw me do, he can do. Get this. Everything that he did, this is going to be amazing. He said, God's going to do it through you now. Everything that you were a witness of, now it's going to flow through your life. Everything that Jesus did walking beside those disciples, he promised them and he promised us that the Holy Spirit living in you, dwelling in you, empowering you is the same as Jesus walking right beside you. 
It's a powerful declaration. There's nothing bigger than you and God. Can you say amen to that today? So, so we see this, and the Bible uses this term. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I, I, I love that. We're, we're, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I want to show you one more verse today before we pray. Because these two verses, to me, we, we can't afford. The church, you can go to church sometimes for 30 years and never hear these verses read. Because we don't want to deal with them. But we need to deal with them. I want you to go to, uh, let's, let, let me, John 14, verse 12. Let's go there. John 14, 12. We need to be confronted with truth. Can somebody say amen to that? We need to, our little systems need to be confronted. How many can say amen to that? Our little categories and our uh, places that we put God need to be confronted. My thinking needs to be confronted. My lifestyle needs to be confronted by the power of God. So in that same discourse where Jesus had told them, I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. You're not going to be alone. You're not going to be powerless. What I did beside you, he's going to do in you. Are you, are you with me? Now, this verse, <laughs> I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to pick this up next week. Same right here. It's where we're going to start next week. I understand some of this. Some of this, I can't tell you all the answers, but I'm going to tell you, it should be an encouragement and not a, and not, and not a confrontation. Are you with me right now? So let's read it. Let's read it. This is Jesus talking. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me. So let's establish this. How many of you in this room today believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God? You believe that? All right. You said it. You raise your hand. You ready? Will do the works I've been doing. My God. And they will do even greater things. If that doesn't make you pause, you're not reading. You, you didn't read it. And what we've done in the church is just, mm, let's not read that verse. Let's not talk about that verse. Because, guys, what are we going to do with that? We believe in him. He says, you're going to do the things I did. You're going to do greater things than these. And then he gives us a little hint. I'm going to show you something next week. Because there's a reason he said that. I'm going to the Father. Now, we have to understand that. And I'm going to share that with you next week. But I want you to get this right now. I want to say it again. We're not very careful because we haven't read these verses and really encouraged us as a church to receive this gift. We kind of shuffle this away from our daily life. In other words, we say, well, that's for, that was for back then. A lot of doctrine says that. Or, but not the New Testament, not the Bible. Or we say, well, that's just for certain people. Well, if you're, if you're the pastor, then you, yeah, you need to be anointed and have power and pray for people. It's not what it says. Or if you're an apostle or a prophet, of course. But I'm just going to work. I'm just trying to pay the bills. I'm just trying to keep food on the table. I'm not worried about signs, wonders, miracles. I, I'm, you know, come on, pastor. I'm trying to live. That's exactly who this is for. Because not only will God do things like this, but God will, the power of the Holy Spirit helps us live like Jesus. Are you with me? Not just what he did, but who he was. Do you know when a family's having a struggle, when there's division in a family, and two people are mad at each other, do you know everybody knows that? Come on, tell the truth. You know, when you have, you're, you worry, here's you're doing, you're like, okay, we're going to have our big family Christmas. You're like, oh, is Uncle Willie coming? 
Huh? Listen, I'm at more weddings and funerals than most people. And what happens, you got families that hadn't been together. Come on, let's talk real life. I'm talking real life for you now. I'm not, we're not preaching and casting out demons. We're talking about living right now. You ready? That's, that's on our job description too. Okay. Let's talk about this stuff. So we come to a wedding. Dear Lord, you ought to see some of the hoops we jump through. Okay. Here's the, you know, here's this side of the family and that side of the family. That one and this one and this one and that one. Okay. They're going to sit on that row. They're going to sit on this row. Lord, have mercy. I feel like getting, you know, ushers wearing black and white, like referees and whistles down. Can we just get through the wedding? You know, I have a friend, some funeral director. They've had to call the police to the funeral home for the brawl that broke out at the visitation because these people hadn't been together. They get thrown in one room. What happens? They didn't love each other. They knocked down dragon. You understand what I'm saying? So what happens there? If these people that have hated each other, somebody walks in. I'm just going to say it. Do you know what? You can have mama's money she left us. I don't want it. You know what I want? I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know that I forgive you. I want you to know that it's more important to me that you see Jesus in me than anything else we've ever done. And furthermore, I want to apologize to you for offending you, being unkind. I'm sorry. I want to tell you something. That's a, that's a greater work. That's a greater work. You know a revival could come to that family? You know a revival could do that? You know right now, let's look at and see it's getting, it's always, see when I'm preaching about Peter and Paul and James and John and everybody else, woo, woo, talk about us, it's like, stay with me on online, okay. So, so what happens? Look at this. What if, what if in the middle of the Portland riots right now, that someone has been throwing fire at the police and the police doing what they do, what if somebody laid everything down and walked up to each other and got on their knees together and said, I want you to know I'm mad and I'm angry, but I've been healed by the grace of God. Now, I'm not excusing what was wrong. Right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we ignore issues that need to be done with. I'm talking about how we do what we do. And we begin to love each other and we begin to pray. And our riots turned into revivals. And our schools turned into revivals. And our homes turned into revivals. And, you know, maybe we just begin to realize, you know what? I may be able to do what I couldn't do before because I have a God living in me that's greater than I've ever been before. Maybe I'm going to begin to make a difference where I live. Oh, I'm going to tell you, if you're, uh, you know, somebody, let's talk about this. Somebody pops up with COVID-19 at your house now. You know what? You ought to be having faith to believe that by the stripes of Jesus you're healed and the gifts of the Holy Spirit flow through your life. And you can't, listen, I can't, I can't they won't let me in the hospitals right now. Pastors can't make hospital visits. We never thought we'd get to that place, did we? I know I'm going late. I'm just, I'm, am I really connecting with you? So we can't get the, see, if we were saying, well, you know, I can't pray, but Pastor Emilio will come. Pastor Tony will be there. We'll get Pastor Sawyer, Pastor Josh. Well, we can't come now, but God can. <laughs> you can. The Holy Spirit can. Are you with me? And so maybe we'll look so bad, maybe there's a ring-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding, a wake-up bell sounding on the church. 
Maybe what we thought was the worst thing ever happened to us, we might just be finding out that there is an anointing that is greater than anything we've ever seen. That there is a gift living in every one of us that Jesus said, you can do the things I did. You can be who I was. Maybe we might just discover that all the little things we've relied on that we put in place might not can be done. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Savior is also the baptizer and the healer and the deliverer. Come on, I want you to stand with me. Let's come, our worship team, come on, let's stand. I want you to see, I, I, I know I went a little longer than I wanted to, but I want you to get this where you live. I don't want this to be in the Bible day. I don't want this to be on a platform of a church. This has to go home with us. It has to be how we live and what we do, where we go. God's power, God's power. You know, what are you going to do? What are we going to do if there's no cure for something? Jesus is the healer. People need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Instead of running from it, we stand up to it. You know how John the Baptist called those uh, Pharisees and Sadducees vipers and said you need to repent? We need to stand up against COVID-19 at the front door of your house and say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You're not coming in this place. We need to stand over our schools and say, our children will serve the Lord. Don't send them to school and say, oh, devil's going to get them. Not my kids and grandkids. Don't send them out the door and say the devil's got them. No, we got the devil. The devil's going to be trapped. We're going to, I got to stop. Are you with me? We need anointing, fire, passion to do what God did. I'm tired of getting run over. I'm tired of the church getting run over. We've got to rise up in the spirit right now. We've got to stand strong in the spirit. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.